morning. And again, can't say it enough. Happy Mother's Day. I am so grateful for myself. You guys have heard me say it. I'm so grateful for a godly mom because it set and it laid the foundation for who I am as a man. I'll be able to honor my dad on Father's Day because he helped also set that. But I, today I remember <clears throat> the foundation that was set and the example. Many of you have heard me say that I, um, that I, God used my mom, that I saw her witness for the Lord, and that is what led me to make my decision for Christ. Um, she, although she would share aspects of the gospel in her, that church, and she would share the gospel as well, I actually saw it. <clears throat> I saw the results of it lived out in my life. And although we were going to church from when I was five, that's when my mother came to the Lord is when I was five, almost six years old. And although we had been going to church by then, it was up until right before high school that it all just started to make sense. And I saw that day, I kept looking at her, and some of you heard me say, I would ask that question in my mind, what on earth is it that this woman has that she seems to be so, I said happy, but what I really meant was she seemed to exude this joy. Um, we lived, you know, a Brooklyn family of nine, you know, seven kids, and both my parents and grew up in the housing projects in Brooklyn, and yet, regardless of that environment, this woman was always joyful. And I realized that it was her relationship with Christ, and I remember looking at at her one day, and I said, I don't know what it is, but I want it. And then I came to realize that what I wanted was Jesus. It wasn't what, it was who. And then I realized why she was so joyful. She is not with us today, um, but um, she has left her mark on our family. And, and, and for all you moms out there, the mark that you are leaving um, is tremendous. And so you continue to stand strong for the Lord, moms, grandmoms, you know, and all those moms stand-ins. This morning, we are going to look at <clears throat> um, mothers God used in the Bible. And I am going a little different. You know me. I, am, I, am, I know that we hear Proverbs 31 a lot, and many times I'm very careful with that because we think that Proverbs 31 is that mom that we should all live to be. The only problem is the 31, the Proverbs 31 mom is not one person. It is a collection of traits that God wants to see in moms in progressing order. In other words, it's not going to happen from day one, but, but, but many times we preach that as if moms, if you're not living this, you are slacking. And I'm going, you know, mm, Wow. Yes, that is something to look forward to. Yes, that is where you say, yes, that is what God holds high. But boy, we don't beat our moms over with it. And then, of course, then we hear about some of the traditional moms, the Sarahs and the Hannahs in Scripture. And I wanted to come today to some of the other moms that are not very talked about, but to look at the mark that God has allowed them to make and to leave on the world and the, and the children that came from these moms. And now I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to go with all the moms that were strong and everything about them was great, because that's not our moms sitting in here as well. 
We have some that have grown to, to, to struggle well. We have some that are still struggling. We have some that are wondering if they're doing a great job. And I want this morning you to be encouraged that as long as the Lord is in you and with you, your job will have eternal impact. And so if you would stand with me, we're going to start off with this first mom. I'm going to read from your text. You can turn in the centerfold of your bulletin. Um, if you don't have it, it is Exodus 2, verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> Let's read together. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became to... she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Father, may you bless us as we hear, read, and understand your word. In Christ's name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Just to give you some context, I'm going to read for you Exodus chapter 6. We hear that a Levite man married a Levite woman, but we never get her name. And so... Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, helps us out. It says, Amram took as his wife. Now, don't trip by what you hear. The Levitical law had not been put in place, and after it, it had. So just listen. Amram took as his wife, Jochebed, or Jochebed, his father's sister. And she bore him Aaron and Moses the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. And so we get a little more insight there from who those two were. As you realize by now, I am talking about the mom of Moses. And this is a mom that's not talked about her a lot. Again, her name was Yochabed. We would say Jochebed, but Yochabed was her, is, it was her name which means Yahweh is glorious. 
Yahweh is glorious is what her names mean. It is one of the earliest names where God, where, where Yahweh, where a version of Yahweh is actually mentioned in someone's name. And we get her family background too because we hear that her dad was a Levite, which which mean, and, and which mean of the tribe of Levi, which we know would become what is known as the um, Aaronic order. Those were the people that would care for the temple and that would care for what would happen in there. And so, so it was her dad. I mean, I mean, his his dad was a Levite, and his mom was the daughter of a Levite. Today, that would almost be like a pastor's kid marrying a pastor's kid. And so you had this you had this family that was charged with, I mean that would would be charged with the things of the temple of God. And so got it from both sides. And so but what we hear about her is not a whole lot. Here is a mom that for for the most part goes unrecognized but leaves with us one of the greatest leaders of our time, I'm sorry, of all time. And within Jewish culture and history, their greatest leader. And so we know that many of the Jews did not accept Christ, but that Christ would be and would replace and would be the intention of God later. But Moses stands still. Outside of Abraham, Moses stands as their greatest leader, the nation's greatest leader. But I want to look at the mother that produced the nation's greatest leader. And so we see in the story that her name means Yahweh is glorious or, or Yahweh is impressive. But we get a glimpse of her because of how she lived. Now, to give you some background on this, the reason that she put the child, she hid and she put the child, we knew that at that particular time, after Joseph, who moved down to Egypt in the famine, the nation of Israel, I mean, the, 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 the people of Israel, they, the, the people of Joseph sorry, grew so much that the, I mean, that the Egyptians became afraid. What were they afraid of? That this sub-nation growing up among them would be so powerful that if any of their enemies came, that they could join with their enemies and overpower them. So understand the Egyptians were fearful of this group that were foreigners to the land. Because this group had gotten so large that they thought the worst. See, they didn't think the best. Boy, we could use them and, and to help us to, to, to grow this country. You no, know, they thought the worst. That, boy, if this group gets any larger, we're in trouble. And some of that is still happening today. If this group gets any And so what they decided to do, what Pharaoh decided to do is that he was going to attack the boys because the boys would become men, and those men would become part of a fighting machine that could overcome the nation. I don't know why they thought like that. My thought was, were you treating them that bad, that, that, that someday they would get tired of you and would realize that they're greater than you and that they would overpower you? I don't know. We don't know that, but they were fearful. And so the Pharaoh said, here's my plan. 
We are going to take all the infants and we are going to drown them in the, all the male infants that are born. We are going to take them and drown them in the Nile. They would kill them. And so they told the midwives, those women that were there, that were responsible for them, they came to the Hebrew midwives. Now, this is interesting. You are trying to get these people to sell out their own people. <clears throat> That's what they were trying to do. They were trying to get their own people. So they said the midwives who were Hebrews said, when, you, when the women are given birth, if you see that it is a boy, kill it. Take it and drown it in the Nile. Now understand the Nile for them represented one of their gods because it was what helped water all of their lands. And the Egyptians had many gods. And so they looked as the Nile as one of those sources of strength, that the Nile was, almost, was, was, was godly in nature. And so they would, they would sacrifice the Hebrew boys to their God. And, but they said, but if it's a girl, let her live. And so right away, the Hebrew boys, we would say today, the Hebrew boys that were not yet born had a future contract put out on their lives the moment they hit the world. <clears throat> You're talking about mass contract. <clears throat> and so the Hebrew women were like, yeah, it's a, they feared God and said, in essence, to the Egyptians, y'all crazy. You tripping, you nuts. We are not killing our own boys. And so in this process, in this mess, Moses is born. As a matter of fact, that's not his name when he's born. We don't know what his Hebrew name is. We only have given his name given by Pharaoh's daughter, which meant I drew him out. And God saw fit that we didn't know that. But we understand that when he was born, and he was the youngest, he was the baby boy, he was born and said that he was beautiful. I said that his mom saw that he was beautiful and that they all saw it and so they knew that 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 the midwives didn't listen to the Egyptians and allowed him to be born and then she tried to hide him it's hard to hide an infant with the noise and the and the crying and the feeding and the up all night the infants back then were just like infants now and so it said when she could hide him no more she said, I need to do something. And this is what I like about it. This is a mom who was unafraid to act and trust God in the process. See, she was put in a situation no one wants to be put in. They were coming for her boy. And she goes, I need to do something. I'm not going to let them have them. Now, I don't know what she thought. She thought she could hide. And so she made, in essence, this mini ark. There are some theologians that suggest that actually saying that it was a version, it was a type of ark like Noah because what she used to, to, to cover it with the, with the bitumen and the pitch, and, and she created this thing that water couldn't get in. And so she put her son in this thing that was like an ark, an ark of safety, and she covered it up. 
and she put it amongst the reeds that were along the Nile so it could be hid and he might float, but he could hide and maybe someone would pick him up later. But she didn't know all of what would happen. Think of the desperation of this mom whose name means God. I mean, Yahweh is glorious. I wonder what she was thinking at that time and said, Yahweh is glorious, yet I have to hide my son. Yahweh is glorious, yet they're coming for him. I'm not going to let him kill him. God, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to sit here and do nothing. I got a plan, and God, I hope that you can honor my plan. And so she takes his plan and puts the baby in, covers and puts him down the line. And what I like about that scene understand that Pharaoh had wanted the boys to be drowned, and instead of him being drowned, mom set out a plan to have him float on what they wanted to drown him in. I love that picture. She was like, boy, they're not drowning you. I'm going to let you float on what they're trying to kill you in. And so he goes on down. And I love it. Big Sister is there. Oh, I love Big Sisters. I have one. I love Big Sisters because they are looking out for you. Sometimes they don't know that you grow up. I told people I was 40 before my sister said, wow, you really look like you're all grown up. I've been grown up, girl. (laughs) Big Sisters. But Big Sister Miriam was watching and stood watch to see what would happen day in and day out as mom enacted her plan, unafraid, but trusting God. I'm talking about a mom who was put in a horrible situation, y'all. And so now she comes up, and as she does, here comes Pharaoh's daughter. Now, here it is. The daughter of the one who wanted all the boys killed came up. And I want you to look at the sovereignty of God because this is amazing. And I want you to understand this is how God works as you act in faith and trust in the Lord. The Pharaoh's daughter comes up to bathe and all her attendants and and here that she's coming down from the palace, which is where the the order to kill all the boys came from. And And the boy who should have been killed is floating on that, which he was supposed to be killed in. She comes down. Miriam's watching. You couldn't make this a better scene in the movie. And then as they're coming down, she sees this thing floating. And, and, and like all of us, she gets curious, what is this? And she opens it up. And I love the scene that the writer is telling us. Look, there's a baby. And the baby's crying. I love how the Lord had Moses crying at that time. Why? Because it pulled the heartstrings of Pharaoh's stuff. She had more decency than her dad. And she saw this, and she knew right away it's one of the Hebrew boys. And in essence, this boy should be dead. But it says, it says she took pity. God knew what he was doing. God knew that this mom, when she put him in the basket, and let me just stop here for a second. Don't underestimate as you are praying for your children, moms, as you are enacting plans out of your godliness and that you are, God, I'm trying my best. I don't know what to do, but this is all I know to do. And that you give it to him, that God knows how to take what you do and work his plan. 
God knows how to use what you have. Sometimes you wonder, am I doing the right thing? And God says, just do a thing based on the character of who you are in me, and I will do the rest. Sometimes we don't know all of what there is to do. And yet God stands sovereign over it all. Look at what he does, and she has pity, and, and, and she goes, wow, what are, what are we to do? And I love big sister runs up when she sees them there. They're all standing there looking at this Hebrew baby. Big sister is in the back, and she runs up and says, do you want me to get one of the Hebrew women to nurse him? I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, look at the brilliance. But here it is as well. I look at Miriam as an offspring of Yachabed. She has this girl who is concerned. She has raised this girl who is smart and witty. And she stands there and she's unafraid to approach Pharaoh's daughter as well. And comes up and says, you want me to get a Hebrew mother? And she goes, that's a great idea. She says, I'll be back. I'll get someone. Comes back and says, Mom, I got a job for you. I love this. Mom, I got a job for you. She brings her, and, and, and once again, look at the sovereignty of God. I, it must have blown Jacob's mind. I want you to see the sovereignty. She brings her to the daughter of the one that wants her son dead, and the daughter of the one who wants her son dead says, take the child back to wherever you go and nurse him up and bring him back when he's grown, and hold on, I'll pay you for it. Now, just a little while ago, mom was desperate, not knowing what to do. <clears throat> she just puts a plan in place. She doesn't know if this plan is going to work, but she's trusting in God, puts a plan in place. God responds and says, I'm going to pay you to raise your child. If we miss the sovereignty of God in this, yes, Yaakovet is, is, is strong and daring, but don't miss the point. It is the God of Yaakovet that is at work. And so look at what he does. So Paisley says, go back, raise the boy. And then it says, as the boy grew older, but I want you to see here what she does. <clears throat> she acted <clears throat> and God was at work. But then she worked in the situation she was given. Understand that she didn't, God, why do I got to do this with my boy? Why do I have to send him down the river? Why do I have to be in a position where I even have to ask? Why does somebody have to, have to come and get me to raise my own boy? Why couldn't I just raise my own boy in peace? Because that's not the way our sinful world is. She worked in the situation she was given and she did it well. How do I know she did well? And, and so she went back and she, and she raised him. And I want to say she raised him really well. Why? I want two scriptures I want you to look at with me about what she did with that. <clears throat> Go down to the next verse. Exodus 2, chapter 11. It says, one day when Moses had grown up. Now remember, he is now back at the palace. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people 
and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Now, let me just give you just a little, a little help when you, are, when you are trying to dissect a verse and doing a little bit of hermeneutic here. When you see a phrase mentioned twice, that is the emphasis of the text. And one of the things it says here, it says that he saw his people. And so there's a couple of things that we'll say with that. He saw his people. But then at the end, he says he saw a, a, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And so they want you to focus on the fact that Moses understood and had compassion for and love for his people and for justice. Now, he handled it wrong, and, and he had to grow up in that, and God grew him up because what did he do? He went out and he saw an Egyptian beating one of his people, and he went out and he beat him down. As a matter of fact, he killed him. But it was because of his passion for his people, it was his passion for justice. He, he carried it out wrong, but it was a passion for his people, it was a passion for justice. Where did he learn that from? He didn't learn it in the house of the one who tried to murder him, which, by the way, let me back up for a second, that's wonderful in the sovereign of God. Not only did the house of the one who tried to murder Moses pay his mom to raise him, they took him back in and raised him in wisdom and knowledge of the Egyptian world. And so they paid for his education. So what they thought, when they thought that they were trying to kill him, they were actually educating him. They were actually helping him to succeed. But the foundation he received, this is critical, she understood that she was raising him to hand him over somewhere else. Moms today understand you're not raising him for him to sit up under you the rest of his life. You're not raising him for him to come back to. You're not even raising her either for, for her to stay there and, and, and they sit at your feet all your life. You are raising them to leave and make an impact and to make a mark on society. See, she understood she was raising this boy, and she would have to give him away. Can you imagine that? But can you also imagine the urgency with what she put into Moses, knowing that he's going to be going into that palace, into that world, and I don't know what he's going to face, but I know what I'm going to teach him. Hebrews 11.24. Hebrews 11.24 gives you insight into how well he was trained. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Understand that mom did a fabulous job. What did she do? She trained this boy to love his people. She trained him to fight for justice. She trained him to have a heart to look at the oppressed and to do something about it. Oh, he was immature in how he did it, but mom prepared him to do it. And I look at this woman today and I go, she produced three children that we all know pretty well from Scripture. Starting with the youngest, Moses, who was known the greatest. And then Aaron, 
who is where they developed the Levitical priesthood from. And then Miriam, who was involved also in the leadership and taught people how to praise. You look at a home of a mom that, that mothered unrecognized. No one gave her an award. No one is honoring her. But the world is grateful to her because of her three children. Boy, that we would have moms that would work. Yes, we love to recognize our moms, but even if they don't, you're not working for the recognition of the crowd. You've got something greater on the horizon. You want the world to thank you because you've put out some children that the world can't even imagine what they would do without. And her situation was less than desirable. I want to shift gears just a bit for a little while. I can't go into this story greatly, but I have to spend some time on this one. This particular mom was put in one of the worst situations you can, and yet God used her even though she struggled along the way. I would call Jacobet's mom is that mother who worked in any situation to prepare her children for the world outside. And she did. Oh, they weren't perfect. They weren't. One son committed murder, trying to fight the injustices of the world. The other one, and at, at one point, sold out on God when he helped the children of Israel build the idol after they left Egypt. That was Aaron. And one daughter had to be disciplined because of her racist actions against Moses' wife. Who made you and who, who made you to, and God made her leprous and had to come back. So were they perfect children? No. But were they children of impact? Yes. Let me put it to us. Are we perfect children of our parents? Let me speak for myself. No. But I'm praying that I'm a child of impact on this world because of what my mom poured in me. The next mom, just briefly, I have to address to him is Leah. Not a mom talked about a lot. You turn with me just to Genesis. I'm backing up a bit to Genesis 29. And I'm going to read through this because I want you to see the situation that she was in and yet what God allowed to come through and from her. Genesis 29. 15, I'm just going to read it, starting at verse 15. <clears throat> now remember, this is the story about Jacob who wanted Rachel. Laban, his uncle, had two daughters, and, and, and Rachel, Leah and Rachel, and Rachel was beautiful. And it says, when it begins to talk about Rachel was beautiful, and it says, Leah had weak eyes. Let's start at verse 15. It says, Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban, who had two daughters, the name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. The text is comparing the two's physical beauty. 
That's what they're looking at. It says, when it says Rachel's eyes were weak, is either because understand back then their women were covered up. You're talking about Middle Eastern culture, which is still today. And so when you weren't married, like you see some today, everything was covered up but your eyes. And so the eyes were critical and the eyes were noticed first. And when it said Rachel, when it says Leah had weak eyes, it's either believed that they weren't very attractive or she was sickly and her eyes had issues. And so when you looked at her, you did not see beauty. And it says, but Rachel was beautiful in figure and form. And Jacob wanted Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter. I was like, this dude was struck. <laughs> okay, I can see I'll serve you for seven months. This dude said, look, I'll work for you seven years for her, sir. I'm like, wow. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you then I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Wow, when seven years seems like a few days, you in love, bro. Seven years is a few days. Okay. 365 times seven. Then Jacob said to Laban, so he says, so Jacob served seven years, verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is complete. He says, dude, they may have seemed like a few days, but I'm ready. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Now understand, number one, all the partying that's going on. Jacob is probably a little tipsy. That's number one. But number two, it is traditional that when they are married, they are all covered up under the veil. And he goes in and he consummates the marriage overnight. Newsflash, in that culture, when you did that, she's yours. Period. No, I don't want you. Oh, nah. Next. No, there was no next. She's yours in marriage, partner. And it says, as he, as he goes down, it says, verse 24, Laban gave his female servant Zilpha to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob, as anyone would be surprised that the person that's laying next to you is not the one you thought, Jacob says to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not, it is not so done in our, I'm sorry, yeah, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. My question would have been, why didn't you tell me that before? <laughs> but Laban was a manipulator, was a deceiver, was a trickster. He was, which is what Jacob means, because actually Jacob, that's what his name means, is trickster. And so the deceiver got deceived, the trickster got tricked. He says, complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. I got to stop right there for a second. So here's the deal. Now, he does give him Rachel in the beginning, 
but he's got to serve for seven more years. So let me stop. If you're Leah, how do you feel? Dad didn't think the only way that I can get you married is if, if I trick a dude to get you, number one. As a matter of fact, I had to coerce the guy to say, finish this week with her and then I'll give you the sister. I'm thinking about this woman has got to feel as low as you could ever feel. How would you like to be, sisters, the opening act for your younger sister? And that was Leah. No one. They were just thinking, oh, my goodness. No one thought she was good-looking enough. No one thought that she was enough that anyone would ever. And so now into this marriage she comes with zero self-esteem that dad concocted and I went along with. And she gets in here, and as you read further down, God sees her. It says, verse 31, jump on down, it says, when the, law, the, the, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated... He opened her womb. Can you imagine Jacob, every time he looked at her, he was reminded that I was tricked into having you. I, I, I didn't want you at all. I passed you by. I wanted your sister. And it says God saw and gave her children. But her response at first, if you read through the text, if you read further down, you read further down, he says... She says, each time with the first three, now my husband will love me. Take some time later today and go through that. Now my husband, God has blessed me and honored me. Now my husband will love me. She was having children to get acceptance and love from the one who didn't love her from the beginning. And so here it was, this insecure mom and woman. And then she continually, she, God opened her womb and she has another child, which means he had to be with her. And so you're with a guy who doesn't even want to be with you, yet he's with you. And so it's coming to child number three. She says, this time he will definitely love me. And then she finally gets it. After the fourth time, she said, I will bless the Lord. And that name of that son is Judah. Who comes, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? I want you to see how God used this woman that was beat down, that was totally disrespected, that was dejected and rejected, that God did bless with children, but yet even as she has her children, she is having the wrong idea and motive as she has them, and God still blesses her. The grace of God and the love of God at work. And then she finally gets to Judah and she says, I'm going to bless the Lord. This dude ain't ever going. I'm going to bless the Lord. This dude ain't going to ever love me. And the situation wasn't perfect for her, but she was the one that was the most dependable. She was the one that was the most faithful. She was the one that's honored the most. Although Rachel had the beauty, Leah had the brains. And I look at this woman and I go, today in our society, moms who are so insecure because of whatever their family environment was like, because of how they grew up, because of how people treated them and how they were raised, God is saying, I see you. 
He says, I see you. And that see doesn't mean he just recognized you. It says that he looked with compassion, he looked with care, and he responded. Leah is the mother that is insecure and yet needs to recognize that God sees you and responds to you and allows you to raise children of impact. And when you think about it, she had six of the of the sons, six of the son, of the twelve tribes of Israel, and came from her. So you talk about Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Levi, that's where your Levitical priest. That's where that's where that comes from. That's where Aaron comes from. That's where Moses' parents come. You get that Levitical line that comes from Leah. And so my deal becomes God sees you. And then lastly, this one is is Elizabeth, the mother of John the baptizer. And in Luke 1, 5 through 7, here's what you get. I love this because here's what you get. You get again two Levite families, Luke 1, 5 through 7. It says this. In these days, Herod... In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. I'm going to stop there for a second. And so you see a couple of things happening. Once again, you have these two kids from very godly families that marry each other and live godly. They're living God's way. They're doing what God wanted them to do. They are carrying out their life in the way that God wants them to carry it out. And look what happens. Tragedy for them, because understand for women in that society when you didn't have children, because that was your role to continue on and, and bring strength to your nation through children, she could have none, and so the shame that's there. And now she's advanced in years, so her time has passed. But can I show you something that she did not do? It says she walked with God blamelessly and righteously, even though greatly shamed, even though greatly disappointed, even though God didn't do what she had wanted him to do, she didn't let it affect her life and her living for God. I will say to moms today, God may not be granting you what you desire, but God expects you to live for him because he is your desire. But we know as the story goes on, God had a plan for this godly couple. And Zechariah, one day as he's in here taking his turn in the Holy of Holies, an angel appears. He is shocked. He tells him what's going to happen. He doesn't believe it. So God says, I need to shut you up. You can't talk until this boy is born because you don't believe it. And so he does that. But John comes and scripture says he is of prophets. He is the greatest. Can you imagine growing up in the home 
of mom and dad who lived well before the Lord when life was not well. And now they have a child and they understand the gratefulness of God. Elizabeth represents when you're disappointed, you still live a devoted life. And so this morning with those three, I want to say, remember that, please be encouraged. Jochebed, that woman who was unafraid to stand against the tide of the world that oppressed their people, but prepared her children to live and deal with that world by trusting in God. You get Leah, the one who every reason to, oh my gosh, be a basket case, a head case, and yet God using her to bring about the tribes of Israel that will be used greatly down the line. And so God's saying, I see you. Although there's been a lot that has hurt you. And then lastly, that mom who is devoted, although disappointed. And today we get a picture of how God wants us all to be. But moms, how he is calling you to be. Where is God calling you to stand up unafraid as you prepare your children for the world? Or as you encourage them as they are in the world now? Where is God calling you that you have had a background and an upbringing that was much less than desirable and has put some scars on you that God is telling you, I see you, and I'm going to use your children if you would just follow me? And then thirdly, where has there been disappointment in your life? And the Lord is saying, if you would remain devoted, I will use you to bless others. God calls us today to focus on him, moms, because he is the one that is at work in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, you have wonderfully blessed us with mothers. Not perfect one, gods, but committed ones. Father, not flawless.